Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Welcome to Midpoint. I'm excited that we are starting back up on our Wednesday uh, Bible study series. And there's been a change of leader. Um, Pastor Harmon was going to be with you today. I have... I will tell him that the anthem started. That anthem started right when I, he was going to be here, but look at that. Um, and I was scheduled to teach next week, which I still am scheduled to teach. So please, please do come back. Uh, but Pastor Harmon, for those of you who don't know, serves as uh, the Central Region Vice President for the Southeastern District, and uh, got a call yesterday from our District President John Denninger, and uh, Pastor President Denninger asked if he could. Uh, fly out to meet him to work on something that needed to be done expediently, (laughs) Uh, as in he had to get out there today and come back tomorrow. So we'll keep Pastor Harmon in prayer. Um, Luckily, he already did all the slides, which was really nice, so I didn't have to do that last night. Um, And so we'll we'll go through uh, our first Bible study of the Profiles of Strength in Scripture, And um, that is our new series for Wednesdays. And each week we will be looking at a different profile of someone in in scripture and find out how the Lord has given them strength and uh, really delve into mostly, I think we're only in the Old Testament for the next uh, couple months. So uh, also some of you were asking um, the funeral for, it's not a funeral. Celebration of Life. That's what Barb kept calling it. Uh, it is a Celebration of Life for Barbara McKenna. Is this Saturday at 1 p.m. We'll be in Founders Hall. If you can join us, uh, that would be great. Um, I think those are all the announcements that I have. Of course, today we remember that it's September 11th and all that that brings. Um, and we remember those families who and friends who have been affected by that tragedy. And so this morning, I'm going to take one of the prayers from a diary of private prayer, break it up for our more, for our opening prayer, and then for our closing prayer. And uh, let's pray. O Lord and maker of all things, whose creative power made the first ray of light, and who looked on the world's first morning and saw that it was good, we praise you for this light that now streams through our windows to waken us to the life of another day. We praise you for the life that stirs within us. We praise you for the bright and beautiful world around us. We praise you for the earth and sea and sky, for the hurrying clouds and singing birds. We praise you for the work that you have given us to do, for all you have given us to fill our hours of leisure. We praise you for our friends And we praise you for music and books and good company and all harmless and delightful pleasures. And Lord, as we praise you for those things today, we remember those who who don't have that anymore. Who now live with you in your everlasting arms. Who were taken from this life too soon for their family and friends. Lord, we pray for all who are affected uh, personally by the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Lord, um, 18 years ago, which seems like a lifetime ago. We ask, Lord, that with those families, that you would um, be with them today, abide with them. This is certainly, Lord, a day of national tragedy for us. But for those families, this is another time to relive what happened on that day. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the uh, opportunity and responsibility to share your love with all. And we ask God that that would still be our mission and vision today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are in Daniel and profiles of strength in scripture, Daniel and the lion's den. We're not dealing with Daniel and the prophecies. (laughs) Uh, That is not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the lion's den. And I invite you to open up to Daniel chapter 1. We are going to kind of race through chapters 1 through 6 semi semi fast uh we're going to actually skip over chapter three with our friends in the fiery furnace because they are another week of profiles of strength in scripture so we don't want to take from that 
I've asked a couple of you, if, well, you have saw, saw the sign out there, when we get to the time that you are going to read, you can just hold up your little board. That helps me know who's reading, um, and also will help Larry know who's reading and can get that microphone to, to you to do that. So before we actually look at the scripture, we are going to look, maybe, maybe not, I'll read this quote to you and try to reconnect. It says, if there is anything worse than being Daniel in a den of lions, it is being a lion in a den of Daniels. <laughs> Let me read that one more time. If there is anything worse than being Daniel in a den of lions, it is being a lion in a den of Daniels. What do you think about that? <laughs> Yes, thank goodness, yeah, a little later than lions that are fed. What else? What strikes you about this quote? Daniel's a champion, right? He wins? Yeah, God, God wins, right? So that could be a little bit of... Frightening, right? John? Thank you, Larry. Falter, he never faltered or messed up. There's not that much detail about him, but if you look at the other, and it's not to say he was a greater prophet than any of the others, but he's just steady, right on, doesn't, you know, Elijah, God has to go off and talk to him. It's like, it's okay, get down off the ledge, you can do this, I'm right. with you. Daniel's just like, this is what God wants. I'm going to do it. This is what God wants. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Right down the line, that of, of all the prophets, he seems to be one of the most just on course with the Lord all the time. Yeah. Pastor didn't tell me why he chose this uh, quote, <laughs> um, but I'm going to guess that it's because of his um, or of God's work through Daniel, right? Somehow those lions were, their mouths were shut. Their mouths were unable to uh, devour Daniel. And so my guess is, is that the power here, that pastor was thinking that the power of Daniel, which is the power of God in Daniel, would be more frightening, right, for the lions than the lions for Daniel. All right, so we are going to jump in here. Daniel begins... This first chapter, I'm just going to read part of it for you. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. Those come back up later, right? Then the king commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent, competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years so that at the end of that time, they would be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. We're going to skip down a little bit to verse 12. He asks if he can be exempted. He and his friends can be exempted from eating what the king had prescribed for them. And he says, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. That's why we have veggie burgers at York River State Park. You can tell Pastor Armin. Actually, what it was was, right, that they had uh, dietary restrictions and 
perhaps the king was prescribing that they would be eating and drinking things that they should not be eating and drinking. So then we go, we go a little bit farther into, further into the text, and we see at verse 17, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. So Daniel begins with setting the stage with these certain young men who had been exiled after Babylon invaded, defeated Jerusalem, pillaged the temple, and taken captives. So there are a bunch of things that they could have done, right? The first thing that they could have done when they were taken captive is they could have followed the example of Psalm 137, where the exiled hung up their musical instruments and no longer sang songs to God. Or they could have followed the example that Jeremiah set forth to go into exile and build homes and have families and seek the welfare of the city with which they were now dwelling. We find our four friends, then they accepted their situation, decided to make the best of it, follow God, and remain loyal to God throughout the time. Their examples would be a legend for Jews for hundreds of years and are examples for us today. Before we go any further, do we see any parallels between Daniel and anyone else that we know in the Old Testament? Somebody maybe with a coat. Joseph, right? What happens with Joseph? He gets sold into slavery, right? He gets sold into exile from his, from his family by his uh, brothers, little ornery brothers, right? Maybe that they didn't quite, ornery, yes. <laughs> they didn't quite like it. Um, Daniel is an interpreter of dreams. Joseph is an interpreter of dreams, right? Very interesting. We see some parallels between Joseph and Daniel here. Before we continue, any thoughts on the opening, the setting that, that Daniel is, is being set up here? Any thoughts? What about how brave they were to ask to not have the same food, right? To ask, to ask the steward, to ask the king, could have probably gotten that person in trouble, right? But look at the bravery that we have in Daniel and his three friends here, and God made that way. I think that's pretty amazing that we start right out and not only are these people having taken from exile and then brought into the situation, they somehow feel that they can ask for something from the king. You don't see that quite often. We see Daniel and his friends grow in favor and then lose favor and then be saved by God throughout chapters 1 through 6. In the beginning of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is in charge. And when we pick up in Daniel 6, Darius defeated the Babylonians and now had a rule of the land. Daniel is still in the game, though. He has not been executed, and we see how God works through him once again. Let's ch uh, skip to chapter 4 real quick. So in chapters 2 and 3, we see the same thing kind of happen, which we're going to see in chapters 4, 5, and 6. We see that the king uh, has a dream. Daniel interprets it. Uh, it's not good for the king, right? Nebuchadnezzar is ultimately ousted from power. Um, and Daniel is the one that gave that prophecy out of his dream. And we see that in chapter 4, this is where Nebuchadnezzar is uh, kind of kicked out, and he's in the wilderness for seven years, and um, God has prevailed in that because Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten where his power has come from. God has given him that power, and Nebuchadnezzar does not believe that the God of uh, Jacob, the God of Israel, is the God who is his source of power. Therefore, uh, we, have, we have this happening. We have this other, so in chapters 2 and 3 and 4, or chapters 2 and 3, you see that there's a jealousy um, for Daniel. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But in chapter 4, we see that Nebuchadnezzar's down, 
And then we have these other people who Daniel's a part of that group, and they are jealous of him. They are jealous of him. Consider a time that you may have been unhappy with a situation and looked for maybe a mischievous way to change that situation. I think Pastor wants an answer to this. I think he was looking for an answer to this. Have you ever had a situation where maybe you were unhappy and looked for a mischievous way to change it? You don't actually have to say the situation if you do not want to. If you want to, you can, you can do that. What's going on here? What's happening between these two little boys? One has all the presents. <laughs> the other one has nothing. What do you think the one on the left is thinking? <laughs> yeah, on this, on this left, I'm so happy. And what about him? Yeah. I want some too. How do I get those presents, right? <laughs> How do I get those? How am I going to... Are they brothers? I probably think so. My guess is that they're brothers, right? How am I going to get those presents? Think of all the different mischievous ways that maybe when you were a child, you were kind of plotting and trying to figure out how to get something or change someone's mind. Um, how many of you ever played the game of, uh, I'll go ask mom instead of dad, or I'll go ask dad instead of mom, or maybe had that when your children did that to you? Maybe a little mischievous of, you know, oh, yeah, I'm sure mom, I'm sure mom will be fine with this, right? Or I'm sure dad will be okay with this. Karin? My childhood was perfect. Oh, yes, of course. So, um, <laughs> but your, but but your children. I had three children, and yes. my second child was mischievous. And so when we had the third one, and she was always so jealous. Yeah. When we had birthday parties for the baby as she grew, I always had to have a present for the other daughter. Mm. And then she wouldn't get so pensive. She wouldn't look like the one yes, on the other. We yes. We have a little do over her too. Uh huh. But it paid off. Yeah. Because then she was more willing to share if she felt she was still important. Good. Okay. Yeah. So that worked out, right? Anyone else? So we see that Daniel is going to be the uh, recipient of mischievous ways to get him kind of out of power, right? Consider this, that a Mede and a Persian, which are the now the ruling class, they would have been jealous and probably a little bit humiliated to be under a Jewish captive. All right, so set the stage again. We have, we have the Jewish people in captivity. Daniel is now, he's pretty high up, right? He's a high-ranking official now. And so he's over lots of people who are the ruling party. And he is a captive over the ruling party officials. Probably a little bit of a humiliation, right? Probably a little bit of jealousy, probably a little bit of anger. He's been given more power. Do we see that ever in Joseph's life as well? Yeah, we see that in Joseph's life as well. So when we do Joseph, you'll be able to see these comparisons between him and, and uh, Daniel. Chapter 5, we see, remember in the beginning, I said those elements come back. Uh, when they had pillaged the temple, they took the gold and the silver, and they brought it to um, the Babylon. They brought it to wherever the king keeps all of his stuff. And uh, then we see this, um, what we call the writing on the wall, right? Uh, we see that these gold and silver vessels come back out because the next king, um, King Belshazzar, he has a great festival. He has thousands of people there, and he's like, get those, get those things that we, we pillaged, right? When my father pillaged when he was in 
uh, when he was taking those exiles out. So he takes them. They start to drink out of them. This would be akin to like taking the communion wine or the communion vessels, right? So taking the chalice, probably the ciborium because that can act as a chalice, taking those and then going and having like a frat party down at William & Mary. Okay, probably a bad idea, right? <laughs> Those things would not be okay. So they can't, so we have that happen, and then this disembodied hand is writing on the wall, right? <laughs> a little freaky, a little disembodied hand is writing on the wall, and only this king can see it. John. Well, it says that the finger is writing on the plaster, and that's not wet plaster. It's dry plaster, but it's making a shape like it's wet plaster, which is that by itself is like, how can this right next to my face? Yeah. A really scary kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And only he can see it, which is also kind of, I think, even scarier, right? It's only, and it's meant for, it's meant for him. It's meant for King Belshazzar to see that and to know what is happening, that there's something happening here. So what does he do? He calls, he calls for someone to interpret this, right? He, he can't read the writing that's on the wall. So he calls for someone to interpret this. Here comes Daniel, right? Here comes Daniel. He comes and he interprets it. And he tells King Belshazzar, guess what? Just like your father, you're going to be out. <laughs> you're going to be out. Specifically, he says in, in verse 22, and you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. You knew what happened to your father. You knew that this was what happened, that there was a prophecy against your father, that I, I told you that this is why this was happening to your father, King Nebuchadnezzar. And you knew all of this. And guess what? You still did it anyway right? <laughs> you still did it anyway. So therefore, you know, Daniel makes this next, next prophecy throughout, through the writing on the wall. And fast forward to verse 30, that very night, King Belshazzar, the Chaldean king was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being 62 years old. So we had that happen. He's out. Um, and now we have these people who this, the rest of the rest of Daniel's um, cohort, right? So the satraps and the presidents and all those people, they can't figure out what they can do to get rid of Daniel. So let's pick up in, in chapter six. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps stationed throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents, including Daniel. To the satraps he gave account so that the king might suffer no loss. Soon Daniel distinguished himself above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. So the presidents and satraps tried to find grounds for complaint against Daniel in connection with the kingdom, but they could find no grounds for complaint or any corruption because he was faithful and no negligence or corruption could be found in him. The men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this, Daniel, until we find it in connection with the law of his God. So I think what, I think what the text is also signaling to us here is that maybe some other people they could have dug up some dirt on, right? That first they go to look to dig up some dirt on what Daniel may have done over this long course of his captivity, over this long course of him being in a position of power under these kings, they can't find any corruption in him. They can't find anything wrong with what he is doing. And so they have to look for a mischievous way to kind of rustle up some, some dirt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they're, they're doing opposition research, uh, on, on him. They can't find anything. <laughs> they can't find anything. So what they do is they, they realize that not only can they not find something against him? But the only thing that will make a difference is what? The only thing they'll be able to catch him in is if it has something to do with his God, his worship, right? So what does that tell us about Daniel? He stayed firm. What else? What do they know about Daniel? Sue? No, go ahead. Yeah. 
man of God yeah. and a man of prayer. Yeah, a man of God, he a man of prayer. You know, just like he wasn't going to eat royal food. He wasn't going to compromise. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to compromise. And they know this about him, right? That's the, I think that's the amazing. There's a lot of these officials here, right? And they know this about him. John? He didn't put his light under a basket. And I mean, that's the parallel for today is even though there's going to be even possibly physical opposition to our faith today and death in his time, it just kept on. He didn't do it in a corner. Right. Or underneath the basket. Right. Yeah, he didn't hide it, right? And they knew this about him. And and at that time, th- these kings also tended to be um, pretty much okay with the Jewish people practicing their faith, right? Unless it interfered with some sort of law or decree, which is what we're going to get to in a second. And so they haven't really had that much opposition they are exiled, right? They are enslaved, but they haven't had that much opposition to them on their own from the king. So, so if you think about um, these accounts that we have in the Old Testament of kings making edicts or laws against the Jewish people, they tend to be because somebody's rabble-rousing. Somebody else wants to take them down, and so they use the laws to be able to do that. So they assume what? They assume that Daniel is going to break this law, right? They assume this because they say we're, we're not going to be able to get anything on him unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They assume that they're going to, Daniel's going to break this law. They saw this, which we'll talk about another week. They saw this with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? So they've already seen an opposition to Uh, the king to an edict when it comes to them practicing their faith and, and what the king um, has said that they will do. So what do we see? We see that they go to the king as a group, right? So let's look over here. Uh, Verse six. So the presidents and the satraps conspired and saw and came to the king and said to him, Oh, King Darius live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom are all the presidents there. Daniel's a president, all but one, right? But they don't say that. All the presidents are there of the kingdom. The prefects and the satraps, the counselors and governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days, right? For 30 days. That seems a little strange, right? That is so specific. But for 30 days, because they're pretty sure that they're going to be able to catch him at some point in this in this 30 days, right? Uh, and uh, shall be thrown into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the interdict and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the interdict. Pastor Beck, would you like to say something? Well, probably <laughs> not on the money here, but um, Darius is uh, mentioned in Greek historians, mm-hmm. so they're actually making the Bible out of context of history. You have a connection between history and the book of Daniel, and you set it in time yeah. outside of the time that's related to us in the Bible. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, he's, he's a real person, right? John? This part right here makes me think of Haman. Mm-hmm. Coming to the king and said, oh, sign this. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. And it can't be revoked. Yeah. And you don't need to know why. And you don't need, yeah, you don't need to worry about it, right? Just, just sign here. Don't, don't worry about that. And also, interestingly enough, in these accounts, we see that the kings are not always the most observant, right? They're, they're, they're not the most observant of what's happening. They're not necessarily thinking through this. Now, now did, did King Darius know that Daniel was um, a foreigner, that he was one of the exiled? Pro- probably, right? But is he always thinking, right? He's got like a lot on his mind, but is he, is he always thinking about this? But also I find it interesting that he doesn't notice that one of his three presidents <laughs> aren't there. That may, that may ring a bell, but apparently these kings are not always 
They're just not always paying attention here. So they falsely claim that Daniel agrees. And we also see this earlier in uh, the same account with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They falsely claim that Daniel agrees, but Daniel's not present, right? But then we see in verse 10, although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, right? So he's not oblivious to this. He's not oblivious to this. He continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously. What are Daniel's options here? We have, we have a couple options for, for Daniel, right? He could run. He could run and hide, right? He could, he could say, I've been in this long enough. I don't need to, I don't need to be here any longer. He could, what else could he do? Not pray, right? And what else? I know those, those might be a little... Pretend not to pray? Yeah. 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 Pretend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God won't care. Doesn't really matter. Right. He can also, he, so he could follow, he could play along or he could, or he could run. Right. Just out of curiosity. What might you have done if you were Daniel? Played along. Okay. Do we have anyone who would run? Mm. You know, why? I mean, they stood in line one after the other to be beheaded. Yeah. And could have played along. Could have. Yeah. Didn't. Yeah, and they didn't. I think of them a lot. Yeah. What, what would I do, right? What would I do in that situation? Larry, can, if you could do, okay, no. I think it's difficult for us who live in a culture of tolerance uh, to get back into this kind of uh, thinking mm. uh, where the dictator controls the private lives of people. Yeah. And we resist that in America. We, yes, we absolutely do resist that. Yeah. Ken, did you want to say something? Yeah, we definitely, we definitely do resist that. And we don't know what that's like, right, Pastor? We don't know what that's like. These things that Daniel was being told to do, they're not biggies. Yeah. Eat the food, pray for 30 days. He just doesn't compromise. Mm-hmm. I, I was looking at some notes here about the first chapter not defiling himself with world food and wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, how was that so bad? The problem was that they were first offered to the idols, and then they ate. So that was what in that was what was defiling that they first offered it to the idols. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting to me is uh, when. David asked the official to show favor and don't make me eat this mm-hmm. food. The official said, I'm afraid of my northern king. Yeah, I uh, would be afraid. Yeah, you uh, could you could be killed just for approaching the king, yeah. right? Just for any request. Daniel was obedient to his king, mm-hmm. but this guy was afraid of his king. It's an interesting parallel yeah yeah that's a good point yeah that's a that's a good point yeah it is interesting and it's interesting that um even even in that right going back to the idols and and the food that that argument continues into the new testament right and it continues into the new testament until there's a vision right we have another vision a sheet with all the animals all the clean and unclean animals on it and then that that's changed, right? So it's just interesting to see that it was very important and then maybe give us some context why it would be so difficult for the apostles all to, to reconcile that they could now eat that type of food, right? It's just interesting to, sometimes we think, oh, well, what's the big deal, you know? But Daniel, Daniel risked his life and the life of 
life of the you know courier guy, the messenger, to to ask for that to be um, you know uh, uh, for him not to have to follow that. So we have the strength verse, which is what Pastor wants us to uh, take from uh, today, which is three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. We have a couple of other verses in the New Testament for us to look at. Um, The first one would be from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So how do we see Daniel doing that? We see him going and continuing to do what he has continued to do since he's been in captivity. He doesn't waver from seeking the kingdom of God. He doesn't, see, he doesn't waver from a time with God and in prayer. Romans 14.8, if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Daniel shows us that, doesn't he? <laughs> he, he, knows, he knows the penalty of going and praying, and yet he does it anyway. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to live in a culture in a time where there was like a den of lions around, right? Not in a zoo, but like in a pit that was specifically there to consume people. I don't know about you, but like, can you just imagine walking through the streets, being one of these presidents and knowing that this is actually something that happens. It's not just something that we read about and it's not just something that happened to uh, Daniel, but we see later it happens to all the people who conspired against him. Imagine just knowing that, that there, this is not an empty threat, right? So this is not an empty threat from the king. And yet we see that just like the Romans passage tells us, Daniel knows that no matter what, he's God's, right? God has had him. God has had him before the exile. God had him, has had him all throughout the exile. And God's not going to leave him, even if he dies, even if he dies. And we see that later, right, in his prophecies in chapter 7 and following. He believes that there's going to be a resurrection. He believes this. He thinks this. He's been given this vision from God later on. Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. So we certainly see, we certainly see Daniel living by that verse as well, right? The verse he didn't know that was to come. But we can see his, we can see his testimony, his witness to us in, uh, in this as well. So Daniel was willing to risk praying for the Lord and trusting him for deliverance. Daniel prays. He prays in verse 10. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God. I'm sorry, to pray to his God and praise him. Yes. Just as he had done previously. So here we have Daniel doing something that he has always done. This isn't something that now that the king says you can't do it, that Daniel goes and does, right? Again, let's think about when we were children and maybe your children, with the exception of Karen Pfeiffer, who's perfect, who had a perfect childhood, right? So, so imagine when you were a child, right? As soon as you found out that something was not okay, maybe you were not always like this. But maybe you were tempted to, to do that as soon as you found out that it was not okay. Or maybe one of your siblings was tempted to do that. We'll put it, we'll place it, blame it on the siblings if you have one, right? As soon as you find out something is not okay, all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more alluring for some people. I don't know what would be alluring about trying to get yourself eaten by lions. However, um, if you were trying to make a stand for something, Perhaps some people get on the bandwagon maybe after it's become, maybe after it's become an outlawed, right? Not so with Daniel. He's doing what he's always been doing. He's not there trying to prove a point. D.S. Russell says, this was no sporadic act of bravado. It was a regular and disciplined exercise by means of which he practiced the presence of God. 
in which he practiced the presence of God. Prescribed periods of prayer can stultify devotion, which means kind of make it lackluster, right? You get in a rut, but they can also strengthen faith. Karin, Larry, thank you. Let's get past the perfection. There was a (laughs) lot of imperfection. Um, Two things. Number one, I see Daniel not letting it become about him. Mm. He's got such strong or such strength. Mm -hmm. He knows what his life is about, and it's about God. Mm -hmm. Where the kings are about themselves and their rules. Yeah. And he understands man's rules. Mm-hmm. And he understands his life and God's rules for him. Mm-hmm. So that faith, there's the strength, but he doesn't let it become about him. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. He doesn't let it become about him and making a stand for himself or for his friends. Interesting. Another uh, writer I read also said something to the effect of um, laws, laws are there, you know, these laws were made sense or were, um, had to be enforced, but there was a law greater in Daniel's heart than the law of, of King Darius, right? So the law of, um, I am God's, he is mine. I'm going to be okay no matter what. And he's supposed to be praying, right? That's what he's supposed to be doing. So where does he, he pray? He prays towards Jerusalem, towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem is no longer really, right? There's, there's some remnants there, but Jerusalem where the temple was is really where they believed that God dwelt, that God said, I will dwell there. And when God left the temple, then God's no longer, no longer there. However, that does not mean that God has left them. And he prays towards Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. It's no longer there, but they can't take away his direction, right? They can't take away the direction of the temple. Wasn't this in a really long prayer that Solomon prays when he dedicates the temple? People in in another land and they turn their face towards this temple and pray, hear them from heaven. There's, I think that's part of Solomon's prayer. It might be, when yeah. He, when he dedicated the temple. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and Daniel. And so God's answering. Yeah, God's answering. God's answering the prayer. Yeah, absolutely. So we have this. They can't take away uh, the direction of where the temple was. The temple was more than a place. Um, it's where God dwelled. So its symbolism was meaningful, and it still is, even to pray in that direction. Our Jewish friends today will pray the Psalms facing towards Jerusalem. Um, Daniel knew that the Lord had promised to return to Jerusalem, and he knew that God said he would restore Jerusalem. And Cyrus is doing this. This is going to, you know, this is this is going to take place as we as we speak. Psalm one thirty seven fits, where the psalmist looks towards Jerusalem, though he's in Babylon. Mm. to say his prayers. Yeah. So maybe it's Daniel that wrote the psalm. Who knows? But he, I don't know. Did he play play any instruments? I'm not sure. Maybe he wrote that part of the psalm. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So he is praying towards Jerusalem. He knows that God has said that this is going to happen. um, And he believes God, right? He has no reason otherwise to doubt God in this. Um, so then we see that the uh, nefarious party, as I like to think of them, the conspirators go, they approach the king. They were like, hey, king, didn't you sign this? We kind of you know, gave this to you already done. You signed it. And Daniel, uh, the Daniel that you think is so highly of, hey, guess, guess what? He's actually breaking that. Uh, he's breaking that law right now. And so you have to do something about this. So he says, oh, king. Uh, with these people shall be thrown into the den of lions. The king answered, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. So the king is like all in now. (laughs) He has now had the law. He doesn't know that that was going to happen, but now he's all in. 
And they tell him, hey, Daniel, one of the exiles is going, he has to be killed, right? The king heard this charge and he was very much distressed, very much distressed. He was determined to save Daniel. And until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. So interesting to me. He's so distressed. So we, we see here that he does think highly of Daniel, right? He has no problem throwing the other people to the lion's den later. Uh, but he's very distressed about this. And he's making every effort to rescue him. Who's he making this effort to? Like, I, I, I'm at, I, you know, to himself? What, what could he possibly do? I thought maybe he might be trying to save his own face and his own pride because yeah. he was going perhaps to the satraps and the president or whatever they maybe. call those rulers who also heard him pass that decree. Yeah, maybe. Maybe trying to backpedal somehow and saying, hey, right, it's okay. Like, I'm the king. I can get us out of this kind of thing. But they don't let him, right? They don't let him out of this at all. They say, no, the conspirators came to the king and said to him, no, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no interdict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. King gives the command, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. So what does the king know about Daniel? That he serves God, right? He knows this already. He he knows that, that Daniel is serving God and that God has been present with him. He doesn't believe in this God necessarily, but he, he knows that not necessarily. Would you, <laughs> John? He's fast. He's fasting. Mm-hmm. He's, and so I'm always concerned about unbelievers and people that are outside the church. He's doing the best he can do. He's king of the world. Mm-hmm. And there's all these gods but he's, this is not good. I can't fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not having a party with your cups. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, I don't he really didn't understand do you. And I'm not Jewish. So to a certain extent, you know, how can I be? Um, but yeah. he didn't just walk away from it. He's That's true. doing something that acknowledges that there's a higher power, mm-hmm. that his kingness is not all there is. That's true. And he did. They had, they had other gods, right? But, but maybe this God can do something, right? Maybe this God, if Daniel's doing it, if Daniel's believing in him, hey, maybe I can direct some of that energy towards, towards that God too. Good point. So then we have a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him. And sleep fled from him. What might this remind us as Christians of? What do we have here? We have someone who prayed three times before knowing that he was certainly going to die, right? Unless the Lord rescued him. He was put in a pit, right? He was put in a pit and a stone was laid over it. And the king put his seal on it. And who's the only one that can get Daniel out of this? God. Who's the only one who could resurrect Jesus from the dead? God. Right? Jesus prays in the garden before he's most certainly going to die. He asks God, right, his father, to take that from him. He dies for us. He goes into that cave. The stone is rolled over. Daniel doesn't spend three, three nights in there. But Jesus spends however much time in the grave he spends. We don't know. But he comes out victorious, right? Daniel, as well, break a day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? 
Daniel then said to the king, O king, live forever. Now watch what Daniel does here, right? My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no wrong, right? So Daniel's kind of, Daniel's kind of like poking the king, right? But kind of saying, hey, I didn't do anything wrong and you, your power is less than the power of the almighty God, right? Maybe under your rule, I did something wrong, but, but your rule is just here. It's not here, right? It's not all encompassing. He kind of, kind of lays that before the king. King doesn't really respond to that, (laughs) which is good. It's really interesting to see, to envision what King Darius's uh, thoughts are about Daniel's God. And may, maybe he will save him. He's a mighty God. Mm-hmm. He told me all the dreams, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you give him all the credit. Yeah. He must be a powerful God. Yeah. I'm going to save my neck, but maybe your God will. Yeah. And he really believed that was possible the first thing in the morning. He went to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, he did, right? He believed that somehow something had been happening to Daniel this whole time. He could interpret dreams that others could not, right? And and he believed that. All right. So let's keep going here. 18 through 24. Here's what we have Um relying on the Lord, right? So we see that Daniel has relied on the Lord. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. Uh, Then the king gives the command. Everybody else gets thrown in the lion's pit, right? So relying on the Lord is one lesson that we can learn from Daniel. Who has, we're going to do it in this order. Psalm 91, 11. All right. First Peter 5, 8. Who's first Peter five? Oh, good. We're all and then one over there. Great. Second Timothy four seventeen, Mike, and then First Corinthians fifteen thirty two. Perfect. All right. Let's see how these other scriptures support this reliance on the Lord for us as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Thanks. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. All right. We saw that. Right. We saw that in Daniel the angel right is the one who came yes sorry pat first peter 5 8 be alert and of sober mind your enemy the devil devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour all right so roaring prowling lion right so we see this imagery of the lion again coming up And we need to be awake. And even in that, the Lord is still our strength. It's not our own strength. It's the Lord's strength. Mike. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Right. So here we see the lion's mouth again. We see that imagery of the lion. We see that the Lord is the strength. That the Lord is the one who saves in these situations. Carol. What did I gain? Humanly speaking, I fought with beasts and ashes. If the dead, if the dead are not raised. All right. So, what's the point if the dead are not raised, right? Basically. So, we have Daniel here who is raised, not from literal death, right? But from what could have most certainly been death. Right? He's in this pit and he is raised. God is his strength. He relies on the Lord. And we see that in all these other passages as well. The witness of Daniel, his profile of strength, tells us these things God is alive. His God is alive. Right? Maybe the other, there are other idols, there are other gods out there. Daniel's God is the God that is alive and is listening to him and is answering his prayer. This God, his rule is eternal. This is the third king, right? We've seen just in Daniel's story, right? Third king, not eternal kings. Not the rulers are not staying there forever. But 
Daniel's God is staying there forever. And we see that God delivers his people. We see that in, um, in Daniel's distress and in Daniel's faithfulness to his God, right? God delivers him. And we know that God delivers the people out of exile as well. That's coming. But for Daniel, he's delivered. He's delivered from the mouths of lions, which is very frightening to think of, especially when you read that next verse where it says, as soon as they're thrown into the pit, yeah, they're like devoured before they even get to the bottom, right? So we see these three things from Daniel that his God, Daniel's God is alive, his rule is eternal, and he delivers his people. And if you have your Bible and you want to highlight or make note of the verse of strength, although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room, open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously, right? And that strength to be able to do that comes from God. Daniel couldn't do this on his own accord. Neither can we, right? We can't follow God. We can't uphold ourselves under the trials of this life without the strength of the Lord. Pastor? A passage that puzzles me in the book of Daniel is uh, chapter 7, verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days as well led into his presence. Hmm. Who's the son of man? Pastor, you have more degrees than me, so I'm, I'll rely on what you think. <laughs> well, it's quoted in uh, the book of uh, Revelation. Yeah. And it's considered apocalyptic literature. Mm-hmm. Daniel is connected with the book of Revelation very closely. Uh, so he's seeing a time in which we would read back at, in it as Jesus coming yeah. as the Son of Man because Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Yep. I would agree with you. So yeah. Son of Man is not an uh, emphasis upon Jesus' humanity, but an emphasis upon his divinity. Mm-hmm. And we're not getting into Daniel 7 and following because that's where that's where things take take a turn, not a bad turn, just a turn right into, into more, um, more of dream sequences and, and, you know, these visions being given to Daniel. Although I tend to wonder if, and I don't know this, and I'm not saying that this is true or not, but I do tend to wonder if Daniel hadn't been going through all of these things and trusting the Lord and being, uh, in his presence in that prayer time and being, upheld under these kings, would he have been the recipient of those visions? He has this relationship with God, right? God doesn't just plop these revelations down to people just willy-nilly. He has this relationship with God. God knows who Daniel is, and God chooses to give him those revelations. Ken, and then we'll close in prayer. What comes through to me about all this is Daniel's firmness of sticking with what he knows is right. Mm -hmm. It's so tempting for us to vacillate, compromise. At the end of the day, we had to remember Nike's slogan, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. You can rationalize all you want. Just step back and say what is right and what is wrong Mm -hmm. and just do what's right. Yeah. And Ken, you didn't know that this, but that leads us into our closing prayer just beautifully because this prayer is focusing on Jesus and his acts of just rightness, just doing it. So let's pray. Lord, help us to remember the blessed life that was once lived out on this common earth under these ordinary skies. May we take this memory into each task and duty of today. Help us to remember his eagerness to help others rather than be helped, his sympathy with suffering of every kind, 
his bravery in the face of his own suffering, his gentleness toward others so that when he was abused, he did not retaliate, his steadiness of purpose in keeping to his appointed task, his simplicity, his self-discipline, his serenity of spirit, and his complete reliance upon you, his Father in heaven. In each of these ways, give us the grace to follow in his footsteps today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.